Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. With Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry. Sorry. We're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Another yet interesting but educational episode of Humanity, brought to you by your co-host, Table, and the other co-host, Amelia. Today, we explore the fascinating world within our body and monkeys. Is that is that correct? Kinda? Yeah, actually, that was almost exactly as I was going to describe it as, this is a story about monkeys, but it's really a story about stress and yeah. the effects on the body, but... Now, I remember you researching this, thinking it was one thing, but it turned out to be something else, so you had to change the episode, kind of, just slightly. Yeah, so, it start like, I, whenever I started doing the recording, or I'm sorry, when I started doing the research, it was about this cool story about this troop of baboons that I'll get to towards the end, but I forgot whenever I was, like, fleshing it out to make it, we, we did this for the the random facts episode. So it was just going to be a short little blurb and a snippet. And whenever I went to flesh it out for a full episode, I was like, Oh yeah, this has a lot to do with just like stress and health and the brain and the way it works. And turned out to be a fascinating study, just looking into how our brains work and how it affects us. I can never get enough brain episodes because like the brain itself is so vast. It's like the universe. There's so much going on in there. You know, I don't know. Just our bodies in general, because one of your favorite topics, microbiomes, pops up in here and how they, you know, coordinate with stress. And really, we're just such a holistic system and yeah, everything works together connected. to either exactly to either work together or to, you know, kill us one or the other. Like you've you've got to find that balance in there somewhere. It's the perspective. Or or it really <laughs> is just yeah, or it really is just plain and straight, thorough. Some things help you, some things don't. It either works or you're broken down, just like a car. It either works or you're breaking down. But yeah. to start, you have to understand the man that, you know, did these studies that we're going to talk about. His name is Robert Sapolsky. And right now is he's he a like neuroendocrinology Russian? researcher. 
Huh? Is he Russian? No. Oh, well, his family immigrated from Russia. Yeah. Okay. Professor at Stanford now, and he teaches biology, neurology, and neuroscience. He also does research consistently at the uh, National Museum of Kenya, and we'll get to that too later, because that has to do with the baboons. But Mm -hmm. so far on Wikipedia, it lists seven different books that he's written about anything from the effects of testosterone the biology of humans at their best and worst, like their neurobiology. Yeah. And one of my favorites, which comes up, Why Zebras Don't Get Ulcers is the title of the book. And that has to do with the fact that higher thinking animals have more stress because, you know, more basic animals. Yeah. More basic animals are only worried about their basic needs, food, shelter, survival. And then higher thinking animals have social stresses. Interesting. I mean, like, I mean, like they say, like happiness or ignorance is bliss. That thing that they say, ignorance is bliss. Yeah. So it's like the dumber you are, yeah, the happier you are. And even in like, yeah, biology, that seems to be. Oh my god, uh, uh, koalas—they evolved to be dumb, so so that they would be just happy. They're just happy. Yeah, that that makes so much sense. Hmm. I mean, yeah, they're. That's they're happy to, to just sure. eat eucalyptus leaves. Nothing else. They're they're just happy as can be. They're they're happy just to ingest their toxic leaves mm-hmm. and get chlamydia and die slowly because they start. They're to happy. Death. They're mm-hmm. happy. They're happy. So, but go ahead. Oh no, go. So, aside from his you know many books that he's written, he also does a ton of seminars and a lot of them are recorded and put on YouTube about mental health and depression and the way that your brain interacts with those kinds of things. So, I did watch a few of those. They're very interesting. But um he did once too uh and I think it's the book about the biology of humans at their worst and best. Um but he did a study about the neurological impairment and the insanity defense. Like, whether or not the fact that you have something wrong with your brain can actually make you do bad things. Oh, so so, so he's kind of one of the forefront people that brought the insanity plea to the courtroom? Well, he definitely analyzed it more deeply and then also looked at the effect that having those that kind of information had on the judgments. Oh, okay. Like, whether judges took it into account, whether, like, he did deep dive studies into that stuff, which was cool. Mm -hmm. I did read a little bit of that briefly, but it didn't have a lot to do with the central subject here, so I didn't put too much time into it, but it is something I will revisit later. So, let's get back to the fact that he is a neuroendocrinology researcher. Like I said, super big word. I just want to say you're so brave for putting that word in that like i would have been like i'm gonna say it once and never again well it's i feel like it's a really cool topic and it's something we've touched on before without knowing the word for it neuroendocrinology i'm pretty sure in my love episode i said it wow yeah the way (laughs) you did i am a proud mama you said it perfectly on the first try neuroendocrinology Mm-hmm. Neuroendocrinology. Neuroendocrinology. It's like a kid that finally learned how to ride a bike. It's repeating. like, I'm riding a bike. I'm riding a bike. Um, this is great. Neuroendocrinology. So now you can go. You can go into your live stream and be like, guys, I learned about neuroendocrinology. Huh. Well, what is and it? Then talk I have about no idea. You know. But I know how to say it. <laughs> 
Well, you have to break the word down. I put all my brain power. I don't know what it means, but I'm going to keep repeating it. I put all my brain power to learning how to say the word that I didn't put enough effort into learning what it means. (laughs) Well, you break the word Mm. down. Neuro, brain, endocrine, your endocrine system, which is your hormones and the way they flow through your body. And ology, the study of. So study of so it's the study of chemicals, hormones, and how they how your brain interacts with your hormones and vice gotcha. versa. And that's that's essentially it. Your endocrine system, and it became really a big deal when they realized that your hypothalamus and your brain controls uh, your pituitary gland to a degree and controls what hormones are released and. Obviously, that just expanded on all of the interconnected systems, like your adrenal gland, adrenal glands, your amygdala, your um, what's the other H word? Not hypothalamus, but your hippocampus, mm-hmm. and all of these things are interconnected. But before we get into the ramifications, is not the word. Before we get into like what all of this means, I just want to go over a little bit of jargon. Some definitions so we understand what we're talking about. So your hypothalamus, we've talked about it a little bit before. It's a region in your forebrain, you know, your frontal Mm -hmm. lobe. And it coordinates your autonomic nervous system and a lot of the activity of the things that release hormones. Like your pituitary gland, like your amygdala and things like that. Heavily involved. I was just going to say pituitary gland is located in between your eyes, slightly above. It's talked about in the spiritual woo-woo world. That's how you get woke. Your third eye. Yeah, your third eye, man. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Uh, So, yeah, but other than that. But your hypothalamus, you know, it's, you know, very important, like I said, in controlling the activity of the pituitary gland controlling your body temperature, thirst, hunger, other kind of at rest systems and very heavily involved with like your sleep cycles and emotional activity. So keep mentioning the pituitary gland. It is a, like you said, a tiny little pea sized gland right in the middle of your forehead. Apparently though, you have to it say? used to be a lot bigger, like the size of really like when, uh, before we started becoming so mm. not spiritual. <laughs> That's true. And there, there are topics that I want to touch on with that on different episodes too, because I've been listening to a lot of things about spirituality and number one, the fa- effects that like music and harmony mm-hmm. had on spirituality mm-hmm. and the longevity of different societies whenever they followed basic rules about it. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot crazy of stuff, people, man. You know, there's a lot out there, supposedly, like, even the music, like, we're playing it on the diff- the wrong frequency, and, you know, we're, right. we're, like, putting, we're calcifying our pituitary gland. I don't know. There's, there's a lot that we could go into. That's already been said for decades, but, you know. Yeah, so your pituitary gland, um, it regulates a lot of your bodily functions. You know, it's referred to the master gland because it it releases a lot of the neurotransmitters that tell your body to release hormones. Mm -hmm. So it kind of controls a lot of stuff. And also it affects vital parts of things like your skin, your energy, your reproductive organs, your growth. All of these things 
are controlled by things secreted by your pituitary gland. So if it's damaged, it's kind of a big deal. Now, your amygdala. Oh, just one review. So basically, so basically the hypothalamus, the front area of your head. So if you were to put two palms like on your like forehead, that area. It's in your frontal frontal lobe. Yeah. And then the pituitary gland right above between your eyes, just kind of like in your eyebrow area. Yeah. And now the amygdala, where's that? Yeah, the amygdala, um, you had to- I'm sorry. I was curious. I don't know. I No, I I uh I actually saw a lot about where it was and just skipped oh. over it because I was like that doesn't <laughs> matter. Oh, so it's like in the middle of your brain almost. Like it's in your midbrain hidden under all the gray Is matter. Is the hypothalamus and stuff. Be- behind the amygdala? Does it go amyg- hypothalamus, amygdala and then p- pituitary gland? Actually, yeah, the so your pituitary front, gland is yeah, up front. That's the top. Your hypothalamus is also in your, yeah. yeah. Your hypothalamus is also in your mm-hmm. midbrain, but towards mm-hmm. the front, like yeah. at the back of your frontal lobe, and the amygdala is at the bottom, like towards the base of your skull. Oh, the amygdala is behind. I will actually, yeah. I'm actually going to throw this diagram in for you so you can see it. I just put it in. I'm going to make it bigger. It's on the top okay. of the second page. You know where the pituitary yeah. gland is. It doesn't say, but. But you can see that the hypothalamus is in the midbrain mm-hmm. and the amygdala is at the bottom. I was just right trying to make a uh, observation that maybe it's like a pyramid, pyramid analogy. analogy where like the pituitary gland, the top point, you know, highest, it's where all like the good stuff is. But you still need the mid and bottom base to like function. But yeah. So the amygdala is your essentially your center for emotions and emotional behavior. Mm-hmm. It's. Primary role is processing memory, decision-making, emotional responses, you know, fear, anxiety, aggression. Like, we've talked about this before. It's a part of the lizard brain. A lot of your emotional responses are mm. there. Um, a lot of your fight-or-flight, like, survival emotional responses. Mm-hmm. So it releases what's called DRH, which is corticotropin-releasing hormone. So releasing hor- like hormones like cortisol and adrenaline and things like that. It sends out that neurotransmitter to let your body know how much of those things to release. And mm-hmm. uh, uh, in response to stressful stimulation, so any kind of stress, your amygdala goes into action. Damage to the amygdala can cause a lot of problems, like with memory processing and emotional reactions and even decision making. How, how, how do you damage it? I mean, brain damage, you can also like... If you overstress it, like use it too much, just like any other muscle, you can strain it. You can like anything overused gets less efficient with time. So if you're constantly stressed, it can damage your amygdala. So all this being said, the actual pathway is your amygdala sends a distress signal like your fight or flight. Okay, amygdala fires up. I'm freaking out. Sends a signal to the hypothalamus, which then sends out a signal to your actual adrenal glands that release the hormones. Mm -hmm. Epinephrine, which is also just known as adrenaline, um, you know, it's to make you sharper. It makes everything faster in your brain. It heightens everything, tenses you up, Mm -hmm. gets you ready to run, gets you ready to fight, whatever you're going to do. Whereas cortisol, and this was new information for me, I just think of it as a stress hormone, but what cortisol actually does is increase the sugar in your bloodstream. So 
it does that and it makes your brain more receptive uh-huh. to the sugars like its capacity to absorb them because your brain's going through all of this stress it's burning up energy fast and it has to go through those sugars more quickly so that you don't freeze uh-huh. so that comes up a little bit later well I, I can actually just talk about it now because it increases the amount of sugar in your bloodstream if you're constantly stressed your body's going to have too much sugar So it can cause things like diabetes, weight gain, like you're constantly getting more sugar into your bloodstream from the food you eat because of the stress, because your body's using it to make your brain function. Mm -hmm. But then everything just kind of slows down because all of your body's using it too. So at the same time that it does that, cortisol also helps create the substances that repair your body. But like I said, using things so much, you're going to run out of that fat. Yeah. This is fascinating because it's like, as I'm talking, or like you're talking, I'm just thinking, I'm like, we create machines, like a computer. We know what a CPU does, what a RAM does. Like we, we create it. But like, how did these cells that started from one to two to four and just keep expanding? And like, I mean, like you can have science explain it all, but like, how did the cells figure it out? Yeah. I mean, just because... And we've talked about this before, just because science explains it doesn't make it any less miraculous when you look at it, because it is like, how did they figure that out? We don't know. They just did. And it's insane and beautiful and crazy. Because what they did is they created a seed. They somehow created a seed that would turn into us. It was like, like, you can't, you don't, you don't get like a Pokeball or like in Dragon Ball where they have the capsule, you just hit the capsule and throw it and a house comes out. Like, yeah, they somehow figured out, put this little wiggly head with a tail in this round little like, you know, gel like ball. And once that goes in, it turns into a multi-million billion molecule cellular organism, cellular organism that like can think and it has like all these organs within organs that do different things it's like Mm -hmm. how did you program all that i don't know that's crazy we can definitely get into that on different like you know there are so many different theories is there a creator is it intelligent design is it just random what are the chances you know we gotta look into this for sure but Getting back to kind of the way our bodies work and the the entire reason of explaining this is to explain that if you have too much of something, like I've said, if you use something too much, if you're overloaded, things mm-hmm. are going to start to break down. So the normal pathways for stress and how we, you know, go through day to day life is you experience something stressful, you know, trauma from maltreatment, you know, major life events external Mm -hmm. stressors, you know, work, whatever. And you perceive the stress and then you go through a behavioral response, a coping mechanism, you know, smoking, drinking, maybe healthier ones like exercising, you know, Mm -hmm. finding different things to do to get your mind off of it. And then as you're doing that, you're having a physiological response, but you're controlling it with those coping mechanisms. And Mm -hmm. then that kind of, as you grow from childhood to an adult, Those create things like, you know, your experiences, your personality traits, the way you develop, the way your brain works, gene expression. So 
the appropriate amount of stress that you experience from day to day is called allostasis. So that's the normal amount of stress that makes you get up in the morning, you know, instead of just staying in bed all the time, makes you like want to do things. It's the normal amount of life stress that goes from being stressed to adapting and growing as a person. But if you have too much stress or you don't cope correctly, or you just go straight from perceived stress to a physiological response with no in-between, then that's called allostatic overload, which we've talked about this before, the effects that too much cortisol can have on the body and the way it affects the brain. So that's what it is, is allostatic overload. I think I have allostatic overload. I know I have allostatic overload for sure. Because I'm like, when I wake up, I don't want to do anything. Nope. it's, And that's what we were talking about. Like your brain or the cortisol is releasing all these sugars into your body and your body's using the sugars and then your brain doesn't get them. So it's freezing. I wonder if animals, wild animals don't are, they have allostasis. Like they wake up and they're like, all right, let's go do it again. Yeah, that's exactly what it is though. Like the book I was talking about, why zebras don't have ulcers. Most wild animals that aren't high thinking like primates and stuff. Mm -hmm. they have the appropriate amount of stress for their lifestyle all the time. So they don't develop health issues for stress unless they're stressed by an outside factor. Like if you scare birds enough, they die or, you know, but that's an outside stress factor. It's not a normal stress factor, but if they're just Mm -hmm. living their day to day zebra lives where they're just running away from lions on occasion, they don't get sick from stress. But, and I'll bring that back up in a second. That that's kind of the importance of this entire study is whenever Robert Sapolsky was studying these baboons, he was observing all of these behaviors. And the whole point was to see how their stress levels and what their stress came from and how that affected the cortisol levels in their blood and how that affected their health. And we'll get to all of those results in a minute, too. And it's fascinating stuff. But in humans right now, whenever we're talking about the way allostatic overload happens and, you know, the way we manage our stress. He right now is focusing on the effects of stress on neuron degeneration. That's his main focus right now. And that's where the baboon study went to eventually is he's trying to figure out how our stress levels affect the way our brain degenerates and then try to prevent that. Um, So, One study that I looked up shows that elderly people who experience more stress in their later life are three times more likely to develop Alzheimer's, decrease global cognition, and faster cognitive decline. So they go downhill faster than those that are living, you know, an easier life. Like they prepared for retirement and stuff. Their cognitive things stay in, um, their cognitive function stays on the level. Whereas... It's also found that patients with mild cognitive impairments already, like if they have a pre-existing thing, are more sensitive to stress. So that makes it worse. So if like you already have a cognitive issue, you're more sensitive to stress and you're going to make your cognitive issue worse. Huh. Well, that kind of makes sense. I mean, like life naturally, you know, like nature just always has the best design. And it's like life is trying to say, if you are old and you haven't prepared and you're stressed out, like we're going to naturally make you guys just kind of not have to keep 
you know, continue. It's like kind of seeing like a tree that's rotting away. It's going to die. You know, it doesn't keep living with the rot. What if their outside stress is outside and it's not something they caused? Like, what if they did prepare, but their house burns down? What if like outside stressors can have an effect too? Oh yeah. I'm not saying it's their fault, but I'm also just saying nature life has a way of just kind of, you know, cutting off all the sides stressed out people later in life because they're just like, you don't have the energy for it. You you don't get, you know, I don't know. Maybe I'm just babbling along, but in my mind, I have this imagery that I'm just like, okay, it makes sense. You know, cut the old nature sounds like a cold hearted bitch. She is though. (laughs) Honestly, she is. She is. Looks good from afar, but up close can kill you. It's super dead. So another thing was a 2017 paper that came out of the University of Illinois College of Agriculture mm-hmm. studied the, ba- the fact that like gut microbes can heavily affect human health and behavior and neurological disorders such as autism. So they realized that gut microbes communicate with the body through cortisol because of the sugars releasing. And they did a study with baby pigs because baby pigs are very similar to baby humans in the way they develop and how, Mm -hmm. you know, their tissues and the microbes that they have. They found a correlation between what they found, the the microbes from the gut in the pig feces and the brain metabolites in the blood. And they, what they observed was like, if there were certain high levels of one type, then the brain metabolites would be healthier and like, things that encouraged growth. But if there was an overabundance of us, this other type of microbe, then yeah. the, there would be less good brain metabolites that were helping the brain grow and things like that. And it was related to stress. A lot of people don't know this or don't think about it this way, but microbes are from the outside in. They're in your blood. They're on your tissues. They're everywhere from your mouth. I mean, like if you think about it, we're kind of like a donut. One, two. You know, like our mouth all the way yeah. to our anus. It's all one line. It's just a muscle that just can close it. Yeah, one tube. So think Lots of us of as bacteria a weird shaped donut. And we have bacteria and viruses and fungi and all sorts. Mm-hmm. So from the mm-hmm. mind to the skin to the heart to the gut to the butt, you know, it's all connected. Like everything. It's not just your nerve endings. It, it, I don't know, like, I wish I could draw a dot diagram just to show the different colors and which ones can communicate right. faster because there's more of them and which ones are lesser <laughs> but more, like, amplifiers so, because of the spacings. Um, and, they're yeah, not anyways. releasing a whole lot of, Continue. like, definites because it's just a study and they're just trying to play around with what they're finding out. But... A lot of the neuro, uh, I'm sorry, a lot of the brain metabolites that they're finding whenever you have this certain bad bacteria are related or are found in a higher concentration in people with autism. So, I mean, the neurodegeneration ties into your gut bacteria as well. And the like I said, because they mm-hmm. communicate through cortisol, the more cortisol you have, the more those are going to be interacting. Fermentation is also going to be huge on, you know, growth in the mother's womb it really does help the mother's microbiomes uh i mean yeah and then 
she'll be able to transfer that to the baby yeah. as well. So that, I mean, having a healthy gut, obviously, but the stress level affecting the health of your gut and no matter how much, you know, kimchi you eat or good fermented things, if you're having a high stress level, it's not really going to matter that much because it's not going Unless to be able to balance you're like it out. super and nothing affects you. <laughs> why? 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 Why can't you just agree? Because there could always be the exception. Yes, there's one exception and everyone else dies. Yes. No, they're that's, just that's autistic. <laughs> but so, yeah. So, I mean, these brain metabolites, like I said, have been found in not just people with autism, but other things like um, dementia and uh, Alzheimer's disease and things like that. So there's no specific links yet, but it's still a very interesting study. So all of this being said, Robert Sapolsky is studying the way that our brain degenerates according to stress and trying to research gene therapies to protect susceptible neurons and different you know, parts of our brain that are damaged by stress uh, hormones and things like that. And this all dates back to when he was a kid. He had this amazing fascination with primates. He read books about them and he imagined living with gorillas and was writing letters, like fan letters to primatologists from wow. the age of 12. He was just so interested in monkeys. And in high school, he started teaching himself Swahili and reading textbooks about primatology and about Africa that's so that so, he could live out his dream. That's incredible. I mean, at 12 writing letters. Yeah. And well, he was he's kind of a genius. Like the more I read about this, I'm like this guy is a savant for sure. But he studied biological anthropology, which at that time was about humans and primatology at Harvard, and he graduated summa cum laude. Like like I said, guys really super smart. And he did a year and a half field study in Africa. Well, that's where all this began. So he did a year and a half field study in Africa in the 70s surrounding five different troops of baboons in Kenya. And he would stay there for a year and a half, and then he visited every summer for observation for the next 25 years. Wow. For the next 25 years, he would go out every summer, every day, for eight to ten hours a day, and just observe these baboons and take samples. And the way this worked, like, like I said, he's doing all of this, to study the effects of stress on neurodegeneration and to find these gene therapies to help us. But specifically what he wanted to know was the cortisol levels between alpha males and alpha females and their subordinates, mm -hmm. because he's trying to make the correlation of being in charge gives you more stress or being on the bottom gives you more stress. And he, like I said, he did three decades of research. Like he was dedicated to this. So he would observe the baboons in the wild, determine their ranks, you know, among uh, their society and their personalities and their social affiliations. Who was talking to who, who was dating who, who was banging who, you know, all of these connections. And he would then anesthetize them, like, you know, get a blow dart, tranquilize them with a blow dart and collect blood samples to check their blood for different stress hormones and other things. Um, actually stress hormones, antibodies, like the way they're, uh, oh my gosh, what is it called? Your uh, immune system. Fight off stuff. Yes. 
you know, your antibodies, the way your, their immune systems were working. Mm-hmm. Um, also their cholesterol levels and other health indicators. And so far, most of the data that he collected was on male baboons because 80% of the time, any, at any given point, the females are either pregnant or lactating and didn't, he didn't want to yeah. you know, tranquilize yeah. them and risk their health. How humane. Yeah. He was, he was nice guy, but he said that they found that baboons have diseases that other social mammals don't generally have. And this is going back to the zebra thing earlier. Uh-huh. Like he, he's quoted as saying, if you're a gazelle, you don't have a very complex emotional life. Despite being a social species, primates are just smart enough that they can think their bodies into working differently. It's not until you get to primates that you see what things that look like depression. So essentially what he's saying is, they have enough higher brain function that uh, they can stress themselves out or become depressed. And as a result, their bodies work differently than they normally would because our emotional states cause different hormones to regulate our bodies differently. Uh, so fight or flight responses in animals are natural. Like we were talking about, if you're a gazelle, you're worried about eating and running away from predators. That's pretty much it. But baboons, they found out, that they're really similar to mm-hmm. us because they don't have any real life stressors. They're pr- like, they are on top of the food chain. Pretty much. They live in a pack. So they don't get messed around with by higher predators like leopards or lions or cheetahs. They don't have to worry about that. They, they just sit around eating all the time and worrying about mating. And then they create social stressors. Baboons, much like humans have type A personalities. Like they have type A, type B. So type A personalities are competitive, highly organized, ambitious, impatient, and aware of time management. And they're aggressive. Those those are the ones that are labeled type A. Whereas the type Bs are more passive. They're, you know, we know these personality types within humans. Baboons do that too. I wonder if they could have like a reality TV show on baboons. And have it be entertaining. Honestly, that would probably be pretty yeah. dope. Like, because you're seeing all like, it's like the Bachelor baboon mm-hmm. version, but no words and somebody else is narrating. <laughs> like, that would be awesome. But he goes on to say, baboon societies are ironically a lot like westernized humans. Mm. We're ecologically privileged enough that we can invent social and psychological stresses. Baboons in the Serengeti who only work three hours a day to meet their caloric needs are similarly privileged privileged, and they ulcerate because of social complexities. So what he's saying that unlike zebras who don't have those social stresses, who are just worried about day-to-day Not life getting and eaten. eating all day so that yeah. they survive. Right. And in making sure that they eat the amount they need to, to not mm-hmm. starve, these monkeys are creating stresses and they get sick as a result. They ulcerate, they have stomach ulcers, they have problems like health issues. So they're their them. own worst enemies. Like we are. Yeah, much like humans. And then zebras, they're just like, I, I just got to look out for the lions and I'm okay. And the hyenas. and Yeah, as long as I'm eating enough grass and making sure my baby's not dead, hmm. procreating, I'm good. Wow, I don't know what's worse. You know, one, you're creating your own problems when they don't exist. And the other one is you have actual threats coming after you. No, oh, it'd be a simple life. No. 
Well, so far from what I've gathered, we've become brain experts on learning how the stress works with the frontal lobe. <laughs> and now how that relates to monkeys, specifically baboons, and how they create their own depression, which yep. slightly covers, you know, or it slightly resembles, seems awfully close to everyday living of today. I don't know. Yeah, know. very close to Western yeah. society. But we're going to take a quick break, and whenever we do get back... We're going to talk a little more about baboon society and the way it works and how stress affects different baboons differently. We'll see you in a minute. Bye-bye. Lucky Land Casino, asking people, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Welcome back, where we don't monkey around. Amelia was just telling us about how baboons had different types of personality from type A to type B. Looks like she's going to continue on with the stress factor. Well, yeah. So baboon society, like I said, is a lot like Western society. You have people on the top, you have people on the bottom. And especially nowadays, the little guys get beaten up a lot. And the people in the middle are just kind of indifferent, you know? So... As he was doing all of this blood work and studies, like I said, he's looking into health factors, cortisol levels, other stress hormones. But he found that alpha males have the same stress levels as the lowest males that are constantly getting bullied. The ones in the middle, slightly less stress levels. How, how is that? That seems weird. Is it kind of like? Is it kind of like the sword over the head, like the king with the sword over the head, like being on top? You never know who's behind yeah, you. So they're constantly right, and they're constantly on guard. They're constantly worried about asserting dominance. They're constantly worried about keeping females, and so okay. to the point that they're abusive to females. They're abusive to like younger males, babies. Like they assert dominance all the time, so they're constantly stressed. Whereas beta males that mate less and mm -hmm. things like that, like I said, the mid range guys. They have less stress because they're doing smaller amounts of mate guarding. They're not worried about keeping that alpha mm -hmm. position. They don't have, like, they're still getting to mate, not mm -hmm. as much, but they, they don't have to worry about so many gotcha. things. They don't have as many social stresses. Okay, so that. He also figured out. Oh, go ahead. So that's kind of like our life, our, our human life, too. Like, more things, more problems, less things, less problems. More yeah. money, more problems. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Asceticism versus, mm -hmm. you know, commercial, not commercialism. Yeah, because in this world, as far as stereotypical, we're not going around fighting other males to mate. It's usually generally who's doing the best in society or society sees as like, you know, which is usually generally people with money. Right. People with more money have to keep that money. And so they end up doing like... Unless you're insanely mm -hmm. rich, like Jeff mm -hmm. Bezos or something. Like, if you're just making yeah. it rich, 
then you have to worry about yeah. you and you have to worry about working more and you have to put in more time. But you also have stereotypically more options for a mate, I would also assume. That's true. But I would also say, like, you know, as we talked about in our love episodes, that our society is moving further away from mating and like procreating and more towards just actual love and companionship. Like that seems to be more important than procreation. So it's a different kind of stress Mm -hmm. because no one wants to be alone, but it's still a social stress. That's true. Because anyone can get a sperm donor or be a sperm donor. You know what I mean? Like you can still, you know, spread your genetics without actually having to mate guard or keep a relationship going. Not that I personally would fret over it currently, but I still feel kind of like, oh, I mean, yes, there's adoption, but like females at least have the option of like giving birth. Males can't give birth. So it's like, why would you want to? Why wouldn't you not want to? Go through the pain of birth? Well, it's natural. You know, life is painful. So are kidney stones, but nobody wants a kidney stone. Yeah, but kidney stones don't grow up to bring you joy. Children do. Okay, well, I mean, that's fine. But, like, what I'm asking, and this is just a Mm -hmm. complete aside, like, why would you want to give birth? Well, if if it... it, Why does the giving birth matters? Okay, like, I mean, if... Okay, you got me there because I was just thinking like okay, I was, I was, what, I was right now I was thinking asking. I was like I I have a child so I'm thinking I would do anything for that child you know like if I had to go through the pain I would do it but then in a realistic right. logist you know logical scenario I could still adopt a baby and still go through all of that yeah. so yes I see what I see and yeah I if. You know, if I had to go through pregnancy for my child, yes, I would do it in a heartbeat. Like, but yeah, I guess knowing that anyone out there that wants to have a child, adoption is definitely the choice. If you want to go through the whole baby thing, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, for sure. Oh man, I can't remember what I was gonna say now. Oh, we were just mentioning like I definitely applied for a remote position for um, data entry for a sperm bank the other day in Washington. It was, I was like, this sounds hilarious. Yes. I'm going to haven't heard back, but (laughs) I did apply. I I completely forgot about that until I said sperm donor. I was like, Oh, that was a thing I did. I don't know how I would feel working for like, like this is the clerk position being the person at the front desk. Yeah. And like the Joes that come in, they're like coming in for, you know, their, their weekly, you know, donation to society deposit. And like, you know, you're just like, Oh, Hey Jimmy, uh, the usual. Yeah. Can I watch backdoor sluts volume seven? Love that one. (laughs) I was just thinking about like what magazine, like I would know the regulars and like, here's your hustler. Like, like, your hustler edition 742. Like, man. I know I love the bush, you know, like they don't do it like they do. (laughs) Um, And then, like, but then also knowing the specimens that go in, you're like, ugh, you know, I wouldn't want that. But then, like, somewhere, somewhere in the world, they're like, you know, they're like reading the file and being like, oh, this person, you know, I don't know. Right. Some people, I wonder if they just randomly (laughs) select 
They just go, I don't care. Just anyone. Some people do. Yeah. Like some people don't like the idea of designer babies, but they want a sperm donor because that's crazy to me. But. But back to baboons and their stress levels with mate guarding. But they also found that baboons who can't tell if a situation is a real threat, like. For example, in humans, if. I've told the story to you a couple times and you always kind of go, wow, that's extreme of being in a line at a post office and seeing someone with a briefcase and somewhere in my head, it went to, this is a bomb, not being able to tell whether or not that was a real threat or a false threat, but my body still having the same reaction as if it were a real threat. That's what they're talking about. So baboons who can't tell if a situation is actually a threatening situation have twice the stress hormone levels as those who can discern, you know, hazards from just overreactions. Well, give me an example. Like, are you saying like, what if there's a tiger behind that bush and one baboon would be like, why would you even worry about that? Right. Because there are no tigers in Africa, but for example, like we'll, we'll go with lions. Like if you hear the sounds of something rustling in the grass Mm -hmm. and you can't tell whether or not it's a lion because you, you don't have good eyesight or mm. you just automatically react to any sound gotcha. because you're over dramatic. Like that's not being able to recognize a real threat to a fake threat. And if the situation does pose a real threat, baboons who sit there and wait for a fight also have higher stress hormones. So and if they react, they release that stress hormone. They release that. But if they just sit there and wait to take yeah. action, they have more stress. Uh-huh. Like, if they're a little afraid to act. Gotcha. So, just like yeah. people. So, baboons who, like, strike first usually have less stress hormone because they're more confident. Um, They also, baboons who can't tell that they're winning or losing a fight have higher stress hormone levels than those who know whether they're, you know, lots. <laughs> who know whether they are winning or not. Like, if they can't tell whether or not they beat the crap out of someone, they have higher stress levels because they think they're going to lose. Wait, wait. And this all goes back to confidence. Explain that a little more clearly. So knowing whether or not you're going to win the fight, you're more stressed. Right. So if if a baboon is bigger, goes in with confidence, and knows he's going to win, he has a lower stress level than a baboon that's of average size going into a fight. You know, that doesn't know whether he's winning or losing. Okay. All right. Thanks for the clarification. No, No, not a problem. So with all of these interconnecting, you know, social anxieties, things like that in their baboon society. Here are some of the health observations he made with these baboons with higher stress levels. So mental stresses show up in the body. And like we talked about, they get sick. They get sicker than normal animals who are just worried about their day-to-day lives. And the physiological responses are things like over the short term, you know, Stress hormones do help. They help humans. They help baboons deal with harsh realities like competition for sexual partners and aggression from their bullies. You know, the lower ones that have the same stress levels as higher level baboons, they're worried about that. And that's a legitimate stress. And so it helps them react to run away. It helps them react to defend themselves. But over the long term, if they're experiencing the stress and aggression all the time, it can cause psychological stress and that can form into elevated stress hormone levels, 
which like I said, cortisol affects the body in lots of different ways, damages the brain, rewires your brain in a certain way. It can also cause a poor immune response, which is why he was checking for antibodies and things in the blood. It can cause elevated resting blood pressure, which we do see in humans as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's a like a, a healthier ratio or an unhealthy ratio of good versus bad cholesterol. So they have higher bad cholesterol levels if they're stressed all the time. And that hardens their arteries and causes premature death. Okay. So whether you go left or right on stress, it all leads to right. death. It needs to be the right amount of level all the time. If you're not experiencing any stress and you're just too lax. God, that's, that's stressful <laughs> itself. Just worrying about keeping it at the right amount. I'm so sorry for everyone out there that might be getting stressed by this. You know, do we have anything about relieving stress yes, later? At there the are, end? there are things you can do. Okay. Um, okay. But also stress most greatly. I mean, he found that, you know, certain things are a little less like your blood sugar, things like that. Like it does affect your blood sugar, but it's lesser for that and your immune response. Like it's it does lower immune responses and it does contribute to diabetes, but not as much as it affects your gastrointestinal function. Like we just talked about your microbiome and your gut, but also just you hear about Mm -hmm. people having an anxious stomach and Whenever you get anxious, your stomach acid acts up like you get indigestion or you get gas or you get like diarrhea because you have an anxious stomach because your body is reacting to the stress levels. Um, It affects your sleep, your sex drive, your blood pressure. For example, blood pressure specifically will rise less than two or in as little as two seconds after a stressful event. So especially for type A people who like being in control, like your blood pressure immediately goes up. Uh Type A people and type A baboons have a greater risk factor for cardiovascular disease than people that smoke because of that. Yes. Really? So being a smoker and being type A, you're just dead. (laughs) I'm just dead. Because I feel like we're both type A's. Yep. So... Where it's that double mm. whammy. But here's some of the good news. The good news is your brain is powerful. And we've talked about this multiple times yeah. with rewiring your brain and neuroplasticity. So you can de-stress your body by using your brain. You know, through meditation, through exercise, through things like that, and some other stuff that I'll address in a minute. The bad news is that the brain cells that turn off the body's stress response, you know, the ones that'll help calm you down, are usually the first neurons to get damaged by stress. So it's kind of like a double whammy there of if you're stressed out all the time, you're going to destroy your de-stressing neurons. So yeah, uh, stress destroys our stress-reducing hormones first. The thing, the way Sapolsky puts it is the brain needs a thermostat. Or a negative feedback device. Like, think of that as your thermostat. And to determine whether or not you have enough hormone. And the thermostat in the brain is the hippocampus, which is right close to the amygdala. And it tells the adrenal gland to stop. Like, the hippocampus, I think I said in the love episode that I did, is the brakes. Like, it'll help. It releases the chemicals that put on the brakes to your emotions. And... It's the one that stops, but it's what gets damaged first. It's also predominant in memory. So 
whenever you're stressed, like your learning functions and your memory are damaged because your hippocampus is damaged and, you know, high stress affects everything. But also, unfortunately, stress levels tend to rise with age and hippocampal cells, you know, express fewer hormone receptors later in life. And so they're naturally degrade. So like stress degrades them even more than the natural degradation that we go through as we age. So essentially what he's saying is stress is just going to keep killing your brain the older you get more quickly. So lowering your stress levels as you age is extremely important. And yeah, so then he also observed that stress levels are elevated in half of people suffering from major depression because it causes it. Major depression is a stressor. And um, MRIs revealed that like people with long term like depression it. have shrunken hippocampal regions, meaning that they've just, like damaged their hippocampus enough that it's smaller. And I mean, it's I guess I guess the point is mental health is just important. Like eliminating stressors and working, you know, like rewiring your brain to not like think of everything as a stressful situation, to think of things as opportunities instead of perspective. It's incredibly important. But the one case study I want to focus on here, which is why I started this entire journey into the brain and into stress and into baboons was yeah yeah so there's one like i said sapolsky studied five different baboon troops and he had names for all of them like he would go to each one each summer but one in particular was called the forest troop and they were the most aggressive troop that he followed the males the alpha males were just horrible like they would abuse all of the females they were highly aggressive they were horribly abusive and bullying to the lower males. And so from all the all the uh, observations he made, this this was the one that was just the worst of the worst. Yes, the worst of the worst, like as far as baboon behavior goes, like they treated the females the same way. That's what that sentence means. They treated the females in their troop the same way they did the lower males, like they were just bullying, abusive, horrible. But of course, the most aggressive males get to eat first and they get their food first. Well, what happened was the most aggressive males went to a, went to forage in a garbage pit behind a popular tourist lodge in the area. Wow. And because of this, they ended up contracting bovine tuberculosis. Yeah. And Mm -hmm. slowly Uh um, from the year 1983 to 1986, all of the aggressive high ranking males died of TB. So, so for those that don't know what TB is, what is TB? It's tuberculosis and tuberculosis is usually focused in the lungs, but you can have tuberculosis in your intestines. You can have it. It can pretty much occur anywhere in your body. It's not uncommon, but, um, it's, how do you get it? You can, you can ingest things. You can breathe in the, I know that a lot of tuberculosis, especially lung based is airborne. Like you can, if you're close enough to someone with it, you can breathe in the air and contract it if your immune system is low. So could they transfer this to the other troops? No, because I think what they got, let's see, because it's bovine TV, I think it was in the intestines. I don't want images. (laughs) (laughs) Somehow I clicked on images. 
Oh, okay. And it's very bovine, apparently. Bovine tuberculosis is very slow replicating. Like, it's a bacteria oh. or a virus. It's a virus. But it only replicates once every 12 to 20 hours. So it's slow growing, which is why it took so long for the baboons to die. You know, it took three years. But essentially, it's an infectious disease caused by a bacteria. And they ingested things in the trash pit that had bovine tuberculosis attached to it. And it causes pustules and like breaks down the tissue. And uh-huh. eventually you die. Like if, especially if it's in your lungs, like your lungs start breaking apart. And that's why you yeah. see, like, for example, Doc Holliday had tuberculosis. And like, if you watch any, if like you watch Tombstone and he's coughing and he coughs up blood, it's because his lungs are breaking down because of the tuberculosis. Gotcha. Um, and it was a very common disease in the U.S. in the, like, early 20s, 30s, so. Okay. But, so they contracted bovine TB, like I said, over the course of three years, all the aggressive males died. And Sapolsky was devastated. Like, he was just, one of his experiments was gone, essentially. Like, so he abandoned it. Like, he stopped watching the troop and stopped visiting them for about a decade. Like, he left for 10 years, and then... I don't know what made him go back, but he decided to go back. And what he came back to was a completely different troop. Like it was all the same, you know, leftover baboons that had survived. But also, I guess something else I should point out is baboons trade males a lot. Mm -hmm. Like so young males are sent to another troop for genetic variation. And then, of course, they'll get bullied until they grow up and things like that. So Uh they're receiving new males, too constantly like back and forth it's like i guess husband swapping or something like you're trading genetic you know genetic uh material but after all the aggressive males died the gender composition in the troop was completely different so there were more than double the females to male ratio so there were a lot more females in this troop than males and like i said he stopped observing them for a decade he came back to this really peaceful society The top males still battled. Like a utopia. Sort of, yeah. So the top males, of course, still battled because that's what they do. Like, they're all fighting to be the alpha and spread that genetic material. But they had significantly less stress levels. And they were significantly less in the lower males because they weren't being bullied anymore. Like, yeah, Mm -hmm. there was a little bit of infighting, but they, they weren't bullying the lower males. Bullying was lessened altogether, and they displayed more grooming behavior, which they learned from the females because the females were the dominants, you know, um, yeah, the dominant gender. You know, they mm-hmm. got to teach things to these new males and stuff. And the more interesting was all of these males that were coming in from other troops adopted this yeah. behavior. They didn't bring their aggressive oh. behavior from other troops. They were taught that to survive in this troop or to be accepted in this troop, you're more passive. And you groom and you make friends and you cooperate. And some of this could be due to the fact that because there's a higher female ratio means that there's less mating competition. There are mates to go around. That could be part of it. But it could also be because they discovered, and this is like what we were getting to with the stressors, what Sapolsky has kind of come to the conclusion of is having friends and handling stress, like, goes hand in hand, like cultivating friendships and connections and cooperation can help lessen your stress. Like being able to 
like seeing these baboons with lower stress levels cooperating with other baboons and like getting along instead of fighting over the same resources that they could just be sharing was a big deal for him. And males who spent the most time grooming and being groomed by females who were not in heat, like not, you know, a viable sexual, you know, option at that point were playing with infants and lowering stress levels by like, they were just hanging out with everyone. They were a huge family unit. And wow. I mean, so he, I mean, he did studies on them too, just to prove his point about the stress levels. So I thought that was fascinating. It was awesome. No, I mean, all of this, you took us on a fascinating journey. At first I was like, okay, we're learning about the brain. But then (laughs) we're like, okay, well, there's different types of, you know, monkeys. Okay. That's cool. And then like, you know, and then example of a utopian society where, you know, stress levels are low. Yeah. They're probably living longer too because they're less stressed and less health issues for sure. But if I were to take it, because being human, we must always make it about ourselves. Is that <laughs> yeah. If we are less stressed, then we could be living in a world with more females than males and less fighting. And also the fact that um, if you're if you're stressed out, you need more friends. Apparently, friends are the way to live longer. Well, it's not just having friends. Like, that's kind of the important thing. Like, you can make connections, but unless you're using those connections and, like, cultivating bonds where you share resources and depend on each other and, like, have that. It's somewhat like a safety net. Like, if you don't have a safety net Mm -hmm. and that old saying, Mm -hmm. no man is an island, you know, having something out there instead of just being by yourself and handling everything. Because... With this many cooperating baboons, they're probably getting food faster. They're probably meeting their caloric goals every day. They're probably, you know, like I said, they're spending time grooming and connecting. They all get mates. No one fights over it. Like, it's cooperation's key. I would agree. Well, that's... Hmm. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's, that's a hmm. thing. That's a yeah, thing. That's a thing. <laughs> Food for thought, everyone. Food for definitely thought. food for thought, which will definitely be on the next agenda for my plate. Any comments, questions, or concerns, class? Obviously, there's no one here, so it's not. Craig, <laughs> Craig, Craig, do you have anything to say for yeah. yourself? So, all of you out there listening, if you feel as though you are currently alone and stressed, feel free to send us a message. You know. Just uh, anywhere on our social platforms like Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. We have our Patreon page. Uh, Did I say YouTube? We're kind of everywhere you would most likely find. Okay, eventually we'll go on YouTube because we would like to live stream there. Yeah, and that's just a few weeks away from now, I believe, that we'll be starting up with our Uh, live stream. Give it some time. We might have to, like, adjust a few times because, like, you're still going to have to move in and this, I would, I wouldn't, I would say like a month after you move well, this in, is, we might be. This is what I'm thinking. And this is just me saying this out loud. I'm moving no later than seven weeks. Yeah. But now. I'm saying once you've moved and in, like you're going to have to move in, in, you know, and right. I'm not going to expect you to right. be like, I've got to settle and stuff. you know, like no, no one's going to be like, okay, like, 
like you know yeah no i've got to settle and stuff but what i'm saying is like we have like eight backlog or we will have eight backlog yeah. episodes so this will be coming out like the week i move oh okay and so i'm saying like a few weeks from now like that's what i mean i was like i'm thinking of that three or four weeks from now we should be getting on the road with that because i do need to For settle sure. in um but beyond that uh that concludes our episode Thank you, Amelia, for making us such a lovely report about how stress kills us and how the monkeys have shown us the way. Um, and the monkeys thank have God shown us for tuberculosis taking out those alpha males <laughs> so those monkeys could live happier. So all you alpha males out there, yeah. take note. TB is or out Or just to don't you. go around digging in trash eating things. Or do. I don't know. Um... But yeah, once yeah. again, my name is Table, and the other, yeah. This is Amelia. And we'll catch you next week. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.